I don't know if it'll help to know, but this will be one of my shorter sermons. Um, <laughs> hey, you can applaud. That's fine. Um, when, I was, when I was in high school, they asked me to preach, and somebody told me, uh, just before I went up to, uh, to preach, you know, Matt, preach as the Lord leads. You know, the Holy Spirit leads you. And I preached, I think, for about an hour and a half on a Super Bowl Sunday, and we had a baby dedication service afterward. So uh, they didn't ask me to preach as the Holy Spirit leads after that. So the, uh, the psalm that we're going to be in today is Psalm 93. It's page 498 in the Pew Bible. As I was going through this psalm, I, I was just really impressed by the imagery in this psalm, the, the imagery of the sea, uh, the, the waves, the, the roaring waves. And I got a taste for the power of water. Uh, one July 4th, a couple of years ago, when my brother-in-law and I decided to go out on the Raccoon River just to swim out into the middle of the Raccoon River, um, maybe about 100 yards away from, less than that, uh, maybe 50 yards away from uh, the rapids uh, as they went down over. And we decided that we were going to ride the water down over the rapids uh, on our bare backs. And he went down first. He made it look so easy. Of course, he's a lot skinnier than I am. I, I think that helped him. He was more water dynamic that way. Um, but I got out there, and somehow I found this rock in the middle of the, uh, the river. And I've, I got my bearings on this rock, and I looked down there, and I saw the water just pouring over these rocks, uh, you know, where the rapids were. And I thought to myself, this is really dumb. <laughs> and so I'm like, I'm, I'm, going back to the, I'm going back to the bank. I'm not going to do this. I'm chickening out. Well, the water didn't stop to let me make up my mind. It began to push, it, it was pushing on the back of me, and the rock began to shift, and it, it went away. Um, so I, I didn't have a choice. I went down over the rapids. Um, I, I can tell you that there are rocks in that river. My legs <laughs> were really banged up. I, I went over, and I, the wind was just knocked out of me. Um, I went down like this, and then I hit the rocks, and I flipped forward, and I was uh, down on my stomach going through the water. Um, well, we got, I, got to, I got after that point, and this really muscular guy, he was very impressive, looked at me and said, hey, man, you look like you need some help. I'm like, no, no, I got it, I got it. And I didn't have it, I was paddling with one arm. <laughs> got, over to the, got over to the bank and limped my way back to the camp and uh, couldn't walk the next day. So I got a, got a small taste of what, of a flowing river is like. I have no idea what a raging sea is like. Maybe, maybe some of you do. Well, one day, as Jesus was ministering with his 12 disciples, he said to his disciples, let's go across to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So they set out in a fishing boat that had enough room to seat 15 people. So it was nearly filled to capacity if all 12 of them got into that boat. Now, the Sea of Galilee is located in the earthquake-prone Jordan Rift Valley and was often subject to violent winds 
that led to tumultuous waves. And as they rode across the Sea of Galilee, Jesus fell asleep in the stern of the boat on a cushion. And what a windstorm came up upon the disciples as they rode. As the disciples fought against the winds and the waves, these men who were professional fishermen and knew how to handle themselves on the water became terrified. Water crashed against the boat. The waves grew to such a terrible height. And no doubt, they thought this was the day that they would all die. Finally, seeing that Jesus was still asleep amidst all the commotion, the disciples soaked from head to toe came to him and woke him up. Over the howling wind and the crashing waves, they cried out, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care that we are about to die? Let's take a look at Psalm 93. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Mightier than the, than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forever and forevermore. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We open up your word to this 93rd Psalm. I pray that you would speak peace into our circumstances, into our situation. I pray that we would have a vision of the mighty God who is mightier than the waves of the sea. Father, I'm not aware of everything that's going on here this morning for each individual, but Holy Spirit, I know that you are. And I pray that you would take your word Allow it to be sweet to our tender hearts. Allow it to speak and apply itself into each situation, into each circumstance. And we just invite you now to speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, As I was studying for Psalm 93, I was just impressed at how majestic the psalms are from 93 all the way to 100. Of course, all the psalms are wonderful. But if you're ever at a loss for how to uh, just praise God in your quiet time, um, maybe your, your heart is just feeling a little bit numb and you need it to be invigorated again, I commend Psalm 93 through 100 for your meditation. It is just wonderful. Here in Psalm 93, we read, The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Often, what someone is wearing says something about who that person is. 
For example, my brother-in-law by day is just an ordinary Joe. But by night, he dons a uniform with a shield on his chest. When he is wearing that uniform of a police officer, the uniform alone demands seriousness and respect in his presence. We feel the same way when we get pulled over by a police officer, don't we? While we might be frustrated and irritated even that we got caught speeding or whatever else we got caught doing, when the officer arrives at the window, we bite our tongue and guard what we say in his or her presence because of what that uniform says about who they are and the authority they bring with them. In the same way, we read that the Lord who reigns is robed in majesty and has a belt of strength around his waist. Consider the belt of the police officer. While the shield on his chest conveys authority, the belt conveys the message of power. And you know why. He got something on his belt that could stop anybody. He's got other things on his belt that can restrain you. The shield says, do as I say. And the belt says, don't mess with me. The majesty of our king is unparalleled by any earthly king. Pharaoh thought his glory was a match for the majesty of the king of kings. But ten plagues later, he thought otherwise. And then he decided to give it one more go. But like the 2003 49-second fight between Mike Tyson and Clifford the Black Rhino that ended with a massive punch to the chin and Clifford KO'd on the mat, Pharaoh's army of chariots was destroyed almost entirely before they could even meet in battle. And Egypt would never fully recover. When Nebuchadnezzar thought to boast in his own glory and declare his own majesty in, building up, in the building up of his great nation, he was driven out of his palace for seven years in the field with the mind of an animal, eating grass like an ox and covered with the morning dew. Until when? Daniel 4, 32. Till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Our God is a God who does not share his glory with anyone else. There is no one like our God in majesty and strength. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Isaiah 42, 8. Psalm 93 goes on to say, Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. It's interesting how many ideas are out there about the end of the world. Back in 2012, there was supposed to be a cataclysmic event that brought about certain doom on or around December 21st. But do you know that December 22nd came that year? And after that, December 23rd? And would you know it, we actually celebrated Christmas in the year 2012. And of course, who could forget Harold Camping's prediction that the end of the world would come on May 21st, 2011, after which fire and brimstone would rain down on the earth alongside 
of plagues. And yet the earth is established from old. The earth remains because God is in control. He is its creator and he is its sustainer. He alone will have the final say, not some ancient Mayan calendar or herald camping. That's why we shouldn't become anxious about end times predictions or fearful that an asteroid is going to crash into the earth. But when these rumors surface, we ought to rest in the Lord who reigns, who has established the world so that it shall never be moved. Not only is God's creation established so that it cannot be moved, but his throne is established so that he will never be removed. The world can try to take the Ten Commandments out of the courthouse, the world can try to take God out of the schools. The world can try to deny that the unborn child is created in the image of God, fearfully and wonderfully made by the Creator. The world can try to reduce the name of God to profanity, and they can try to mock Him on TV. But they are only kidding themselves if they think that this makes an iota of a difference to the sovereign majesty and power that God has as the ruler over this world. Rulers come and go, nations rise and fall, but God's throne is from everlasting. We testify with the author of the 90th Psalm that before the mountains were brought forth or ever you gave birth to the earth and the world from beginning to end, you are God. Verse 3, the floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. To the Israelite, the raging sea was the most vivid picture of uncontrolled chaos. Think of the most chaotic time in your life. Do you remember how out of control you felt. Maybe it was a financial situation. An unexpected bill pops up out of nowhere. The floods have lifted up. The waters are rising. Maybe they're ankle deep now, but you can still trudge your way around. But then another bill, perhaps a hospital bill that isn't covered by insurance, lands in your lap. Well, now the floods have lifted up their voice. The water is moving and you can hear it crashing down the hallways of your home as it picks up your furniture and toys and dishes and carries them away with its current. And then, foreclosure. The floods lift up their roaring. Suddenly, the 20, 50, 100-foot waves pound against all sides of your house until all the walls are threatening to collapse in around you. Perhaps, perhaps it's not a financial situation, but a health concern. Maybe it's not a health concern. Maybe it's a mistake that turns into a rumor which spreads like wildfire in the form of gossip that alienates you from those you've entrusted your heart to. And the examples could go on. The idea is that the situation in which you found yourself, much like the disciples in the fishing boat with Jesus asleep in the stern of the boat, is out of your control. 
How can we survive during such times? How do we live? How do we take our next breath in the face of such paralyzing, suffocating, and chaotic events that threaten to drown us? Consider with me for a moment the man Job. Have in your mind the raging sea, and with each loss, another wave crashes against Job. Job 1.13. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing, and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Crash! A wave shoves against Job. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up, the, burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Crash. Another wave shoves against him and he, and he has to catch his balance. There came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck them down, the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. One right after the other, Job is knocked over and over again with the waves. And another comes. And by this time, Job must have been wondering, how much worse could this get? And the servants said, the servant <clears throat> said, your sons, Job, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people. And Job, your sons and daughters are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you dead. His sons and daughters, suddenly a breaker crashes into him and knocks him flat to the ground. Then Job arose, he tore his, tore his robe, he shaved his head, and he fell on the ground and worshipped and said, Naked, I came out of my mother's womb, and naked, I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all of this, and all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Psalm 93, verse 4. Job recognized, even in the midst of painfully agonizing chaos, that mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Do we believe this? Do we believe that God is mightier than the most chaotic circumstances we've faced or that we are facing? or that we may face in days or years to come. 
Do we believe that God is still in control, even when everything around us seems to be spinning out of control? I am convinced that everyone in here would say that God is sovereign, that he is in control, that he is mightier than all the chaos in the world, even. But do we live like it? You see, it's one thing to have a gym membership. You can invest hundreds of dollars into a a premium membership at a local gym that has state-of-the-art equipment. All the best trainers and enough to make every Greek Olympian jealous. But if you don't use the membership, you'll never look like the guy or the girl in the commercial. Instead, you'll keep looking like me. Now, good theology that doesn't affect how you live, that doesn't allow you to keep breathing when all the breath has been knocked out of you, that doesn't empower you to wait victoriously in the midst of impossible losses, is like having a gym membership that you never use. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much you know, how many books you've read, how many debates you've won or could win, if that knowledge of the truth doesn't give you strength to stand and wait in the light of the truth of who God is as your sovereign king, it is no good. Jesus puts it plainly in Matthew 7, 26 through 27. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does them hears these words of mine and does not act on them, is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell, the torrents raged, and the winds blew against that house, and it fell, and great was its collapse. If you hear the word of the Lord, and it does not affect the way that you live, you're building your house on sand. And you should not expect that all of your doctrine, all of your books, and all of your credentials, whatever they may be, will enable you to withstand the raging waves of the sea. Verse 8. Your decrees are trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. There are so many disappointments in life. How many times have we been let down by a family member, a friend, a leader, or a public figure? People will disappoint you. They will fail you. We will fail one another from time to time. But God's decrees, what God says is true, What he says will be done and the promises that he makes to you, they are very trustworthy. They will never disappoint and they will never fail. How does one define the place where God is? Holiness and holiness forevermore. God's reign is from everlasting to everlasting. There is coming a day when all the kings of this world will be brought into subjection to the king of kings. 
when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. For some, it will be too late in that moment. They will be cast into the lake of fire for all of eternity because they would not come to him before that day of judgment. For others, it will be a glorious day as we see the one in whom we've trusted for our salvation, the one in whom we've believed without seeing, the one whom we've loved, reigning with us forever and evermore in the new heavens and the new earth. In which group will you be? The disciples woke the Lord, the Lord who reigns, and said to him, Master, Master, we are perishing. Do you not care that we are about to die? He rose from his pillow in the stern of the boat, and with three words he calmed the winds and the waves of that sea. Peace, be still. He said to his disciples to challenge them, where is your faith? And at this they were afraid and said to one another, who is this man that he commands even the winds and the water? And they obey him. Perhaps later on in their lives and ministry, perhaps they would look back and remember the 93rd Psalm as they reflected what happened that day on the Sea of Galilee and say of Jesus, God the Son, The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Let's pray. Father, you are mightier than the waves of the sea. Help us in the midst of our circumstances to wait, to wait patiently to not fret, to not give in to fear, to not complain, but to look in a settled peace at our Savior who has never left us, who is right there in the boat with us, who commands even the waves of the sea and the winds in the air. We know that no matter what comes our way, you are mightier, May we rest in you. In Jesus' name, amen.